Well, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're in uh, the epistle of Galatians. Paul has written to these churches in uh, Asia Minor, and we've been talking about the fact that God's plan is certain. He has planned everything out. The gospel, the gospel message is not plan B. God didn't say, oh, everything got uh, messed up, and I didn't expect this, and so now I have to get to the gospel. Scripture tells us that God had foreordained everything before time began, and he set it all up. He did not cause sin. He's not the author of sin, but it was in his ordained plan. And sin did not take him by surprise. Nothing shocks the Lord. And so from the beginning of time and from eternity past, all of eternity, God has had set in stone the fact that he would glorify himself through the sending of his son Jesus Christ to this world. And we've talked about what the gospel is. If there's anything that we understand, we need to understand what the gospel is. If somebody asks you, what is the gospel? It's so important that we as Christians know exactly what the gospel is. It's not good enough to just say, I've heard the gospel, I believe the gospel. We must know what it is. And it must be part of our hearts. It must be part of the very fabric of our thinking. The gospel, listen carefully, the gospel is not the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and so on. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not the Bible. People say, well, the gospel is just the Bible. You know, we hold the Bible up and say this is the gospel. The Bible includes the gospel, but the Bible is not the gospel. The preeminent message of the Bible is the gospel, but the whole Bible is not, not the gospel. The gospel is not the golden rule. To do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It's not just the it's not the teachings of Jesus. We say, well, it's just the, the teachings of Christ. Well, it includes the teaching of Christ, of course, but it's not just all the teachings of Christ. When we get to what the gospel is, we need to understand exactly what it is, and we need to be able to articulate it clearly. The gospel is what God in Christ has done to save his people from their sins. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, listen, gospel means good news. That's what the gospel is. Somebody says, what is the gospel? Well, the very definition of the gospel is the good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ has lived in our place, the perfect life that we could never live. You and I are sinners. We're imperfect. We're, we're messed up. And so Christ came and he lived the perfect life in our place. The gospel is about what Christ has done. He lived for us. And the gospel is also about what he did on the cross. The fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. In all the darkness of hell, and there is such a thing as hell, and there are people that are going to hell on a daily basis. Daily. This is not just old news. This is, this is the news of the gospel that... People are going to hell, but here's the gospel. God in Christ, Christ has done something about it. He's lived in our place and he has died in our place. The darkness of hell, the darkness of our sin was put upon Christ in our place. And God cares about all. He loves all. 
He loves young people and old people. One of the greatest places that the devil likes to work is nursing homes. He almost has them. Had them for 80 years. And if I can just get them sedated to the point where they are numb to the gospel, get them away from gospel preaching, so that they don't receive the gospel in their last hours, in their last days, Satan wins. He's like, yes, he loves nursing homes. Why? Because he can get them to the point where they're at the end of the road and they are just at the point where they say, you know what, I've gone on 80 years, gone on 85 years, 90 years, and what have you. Satan says, just a little bit longer and I'll have them. Just a little bit longer. This is why it's not just about preaching to youth. Oh, it's important to preach to the youth, but it's not just about the youth. It's amazing how many times I'll start preaching in the nursing home. It's amazing. We could be talking about social events. We could be talking about this, and we could be talking about that, football. We could be talking about sports and work, family, and everything else. We could be talking about all these different things. Soon as I get to the gospel, the phone rings, the intercom goes out. Rick is a witness to this on a weekly basis. Why? Because even ladies and men just kind of sitting there listening as that gospel's going in, the Lord's at work. And so Satan's primary uh, ministry, his, his primary desire is to thwart people from receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is the primary gospel. So what is it? The primary message is the gospel. What is it? Christ has lived in our place. Christ has died in our place. Christ rose again for us, and he is now seated in the heavens, in heaven, where he has now sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. And there's always a, a command that accompanies the gospel. It's not the gospel, but it is inseparable from the gospel. And it's the command to repent and believe. And the scripture tells us that everybody that hears this message of the gospel is commanded to say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I trust in you. Faith, looking to him. I trust in you to save me. Will you save me? That, that's what we're talking about when we are talking about what the gospel is. But there is this need to embrace it with our whole hearts. Listen, you, you can know this. You can know what the gospel is and not be saved. You can know it's about the life and death of Christ and go to hell. It's called dead orthodoxy. It's where we have our doctrine straight. We have our orthodox doctrine. Everything's laced up. Everything's buttoned down. Everything's tied up. Everything's fit right into place. You can have somebody say, well, what is the gospel? And they go through the whole thing. It's about the life and the death of Jesus Christ in our place. It's about what he has done to save his people from their sins. We understand all of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he was crucified, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. You can have children memorize that. You can have teenagers who know that by heart. And it's good to understand exactly what it is, and we need to understand what it is. But it must go to our heart. Listen, if it never goes to our heart, if it's never changed who we are, it's meaningless to us. We haven't understood it yet. And so it must be applied. 
I, I'm thankful in recent years for this, this emphasis on the gospel. We've had uh, ministries like Together for the Gospel. We've had ministries like the uh, Gospel Coalition spring up. All of these different gospel ministries. But the concern is that people know what the gospel is and yet don't know it experientially. You can memorize these facts and go out of church untouched and unmoved. It's like baptism. You can be baptized a thousand times. Go down a wet sinner and come up a wet sinner. Doesn't, doesn't matter. But there, there must be a point in our life. This is why we, when we talk about what the gospel is, there must come a point in our life where we're grieved about our life. Where we go, wait a second. God demands a perfect life from me to get to heaven? He really does? Yes, he demands a perfect life. I'm not perfect. I don't know anybody's perfect. But that's what he demands? You mean the only way I'm going to get into heaven is if I'm perfect? Yes, that's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 5. You be perfect, ye be perfect, be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So a person begins to think about that. That's actually the standard of God. I need to be perfect. I'm not. And uh, if I'm not perfect, that means... I'm going to be separated from God forever. And all of a sudden, that begins to weigh on a person's heart. That People should lose sleep over that. A missionary came to our house. lady missionary came to our house years ago when we had missionaries come through and we'd have missionaries speak here every year. And she told us that she was sitting in our living room. She would, she would lay awake at night thinking about this. She goes, I, I, I knew I didn't know God. A young kid, 10, 12 years old, can't remember the exact age. I don't know God. And yet that was going through her mind as she was thinking about that. If I, if I died, if I died, I would die separate from God. So we hear, this, we hear this law of God, this law of God that says you must be perfect. And we don't excuse it away. We don't say, oh, well, there's really no God, or maybe there's really not a God, and I've heard these different kinds of things before, and I'm not really sure. No, no, we're convicted. There's conviction that comes. Go, whoa, whoa. And in the old days, people used to think, well, if I go to church, nobody thinks that anymore. The churches are empty. But what people have done is they've just excused God. They've just said, well, that's old stuff. We don't, we don't need that. But listen, God is, God still, he always has his people. He always has a remnant everywhere, everywhere. And so there are people still being called. We don't just go, well, it's hopeless. Let's just throw our hands in the air and say it's hopeless. No, sometimes God calls us to a small work, few people getting saved over the years for a lifetime. It's a lifetime of ministry. It's not we go in and say, well, if everybody doesn't get it. If we don't all get the gospel, then we just give up. No, no, no. We continue to pray. We continue to seek God's face. We don't know who God's speaking to. Laying these things on their heart. And I, I pray, I pray today God would begin to speak to somebody who might even think that they're saved in this room and you're not. You're not. You don't have godly affections, godly desires, the worldly heart taken out. That heart that Elder Frank had talked about earlier. That heart of stone removed. 
So if we're not saved, we should be laying awake at night going, God, I, I'm not perfect. And the Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. That if I were to die in my own sins today, not only would I die physically, but the scripture says I would die without God. You say, oh, oh no, it would be, be a great time down there if there is a hell. Well, open a six-pack together. I don't think so. Just like we taste the drops of heaven here on earth, the kingdom that is coming has been pushed back even into this age, and we experience healings, we experience the salvation of God. The kingdom has come from the future and has dropped back here into this, this age. That's why we have little tastes of heaven here on earth, pipeline straight from here to God. That's why we get filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. We get tastes of heaven right here. Listen, people get tastes of hell. And what is to come? Nobody has experienced the fullness of hell yet, but there are people in this world, in this day, in this age, who are experiencing and tasting the very drops of hell. If you've ever experienced despair, if you've ever experienced hopelessness, if you've ever experienced evil darkness and oppression of evil, and oppression of sin. That's the drops of hell, and that's only a foretaste of what is to come. I remember one night I was sleeping, and for some reason my phone went off, and it wasn't, it was something, I fell asleep, I believe I had been listening to a sermon on YouTube. And I woke up, and Sometimes YouTube just kind of continues to play through different videos. And as I woke up, I had this, this sense of evil, this presence of evil. I looked over, and it was, I won't mention their names, but these, these singers who don't know God and the things that they were saying and singing, I don't remember much of it, but it was, it was just vile. It was evil to the core. Turn that thing off. The drops of hell. Listen, let me let me just explain this real quick. We are looking forward to the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is in the future. We're looking forward to the kingdom. But the kingdom that is in the future has already been pushed back. So the future has already come. But Jesus told, the, told us the kingdom is among you right now. You have experiences of the coming kingdom, the kingdom in its fullness, the rule. When we talk about the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Christ, it's coming, it's, but it's already. It's already and it's not yet. It's already here and it's not yet. It's the same with hell. Hell is coming for people. It's in the future. And yet hell has also been pushed back and people are experiencing little, little taste of it. And I just want you to know God doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's not his desire. That's not his heart. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves you. And so we have this, we have this, 
this thinking as we are without Christ, unconverted in this world, of where we begin to think about our, our destiny, the fact that we are not here for a very long time. And it's not just about leaving a legacy, leaving an imprint, leaving the world in a little bit of a better place than it's ever been. No, 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 no. It's about the glory of God. It's about you knowing God here and now. I've come that they might know you, Jesus said. That that's the whole reason he came. The whole reason he came was for us to really know God. And so we get from this point of where we're saying, I'm not perfect, and our sin begins to bother us. See, if your sin doesn't bother you, if you find yourself, listen, if you find yourself in a defensive position constantly, don't talk to me about my sin. I was listening to this, this conversation of these uh, two people. They were talking about abstinence, sex before marriage. And this one guy, I don't even know if he's a believer, but he was just talking about abstinence from a, from a scientific, from a sociological aspect and its benefits. And this woman who he was kind of debating on this news program was, was talking about how that's ridiculous and absurd. And one of, one of the things that she said to him, she said, um, you're missing out on fun. He said, he said, you'll be missing out on this, you'll be missing out on this, you'll be missing out on this, all these different things, promoting abstinence. And then she goes, but you'll be missing out on one thing. She said, you'll be missing out on, you'll be missing out on fun. What a, what, a, what a sad commentary. Fun. Yeah, fun for a season. Fun for, uh, fun for a, a small bit. But here, here's, here's the thing. It was amazing how defensive she was. And she even admitted she was. She was so bothered that this, they were even having this conversation, even though she knew that they were going to have the conversation. It bothered her. Here, here's a word for for people who need safe spaces today. I guess that's what we need. But everyone's triggered. Triggered. You know, all of a sudden somebody says something, don't hurt my feelings, don't say anything that's going to bother me, don't say anything that's going to make me feel bad about myself. Let me, let, me get to a, let, me, let me get to a place where nobody's going to say anything that offends me, anything that bothers me, anything that lowers my self-esteem, anything that makes me feel guilty, anything that makes me feel ashamed. don't want to feel any of that. I want you to learn to just accept who I am and accept the things that are going on in my life. Listen, that person who thinks like that, who's triggered with everything, Somebody says something, they're instantly defensive, instantly angry, instantly bothered, instantly has all the answers as to why that's wrong. Instantly says things like, you're judging me. You're judging me. Listen, that, that person, that person is not right with God. God, God is not just about stroking our ego, making us feel better. He's about coming into the world and telling us the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's what Jesus said. Not you shall know your own truth. That doesn't even make any sense. There is no such thing as your own truth. There's only truth and non-truths. Truths and 
lies. So you shall know the truth. So this is why when we talk about the gospel, we don't just say, well, he lived in my place, he died in my place, amen. No, 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 no. It's we, We've understood something. We're convicted. We begin to think to ourselves, there's a holy God, holy, holy, holy. Isn't that what we sing this morning? By the way, why does it always say that holy, holy, holy? He's thrice holy, thrice holy, because he's a trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're calling each one of them holy. Holy, 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 holy. He's thrice holy. So when we when we come to God, we are we come to Him and we say, Lord, I get it. I understand the fact, and I'm bothered about my sin. And Lord, I recognize that you're not going to just accept me for me. That's not what you do. That's not love. That's unloving. Imagine the, the gates of heaven, people demanding, let us in. Let us in. Let us in. Why? Because we want in. You need to accept us for us. No, we come just as we are. But he doesn't just accept our sin. He doesn't, he doesn't just paint over and say, well, this is no big deal. For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if all we're doing today is preaching to one person, I hope we're preaching to every believer here too. But if there's one person here that you haven't understood that you must come to an end of yourself, you have not understood the gospel. You must be broken. The Bible says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Are you broken? That's the question. Am I broken? So we, we, come to, we come to a place where we say, Lord, I get it. Listen, let me just say this as we continue on. Don't ignore God. Don't ignore him. Don't, don't, don't go from this place and just say, okay, can stop thinking about God again for a while. May the word of God haunt you. A holy haunting, like the voice of John the Baptist haunted Herod. Holy hauntings. May, may he bring you to a decision in your life where you say, I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect, and here's what we end up doing. We end up, we end up saying, there's nothing I can do to save myself. There's no argument. There's no excuse. It wasn't in the old days, uh, I'll just go to church, and nowadays, God, you're going to accept me for who I am. That's the new argument. God, you're going to accept me for who I am. 
I don't need to do anything. I don't need to go to church. I can, I can pray to God in a field if I want to. I don't need to change sin in my life at all. God, you're going to accept my sin. In fact, not only are we going to say you're going to accept my sin, God, you're going to call it good. So we reject all that as sin, and we say, no, I'm a sinner, and the only way that I can get into heaven is to be completely perfect. That's it. And what that should do is lead us to a place of hopelessness. Because the right response to that question is, who can be perfect? No one. No one's perfect. For there is none righteous, no, not one. And this is why the gospel means so much. Jesus came and lived for me? You mean he came and he lived the perfect life I should have lived? What a beautiful man he was. Beautiful. To the core. Everything he did was righteous. Everything he did was loving. Everything he did was perfect. Everything he did was complete. He did it for me. He did it for you. He lived in your place. He said, I know you can't live. I know you can't make it into heaven on your own. So guess what? I'll live for you. I'll be your substitute. Instead of you living and trying or excusing yourself or doing whatever you want to do, I'll actually live for you. Not only did he do that, he took the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. So what did Christ do? He died for us. He's the God-man. Fully human. Fully God. And that God-man died on a cross as a substitute. This is the only way to know God. So we respond. We get on our knees and we say, Lord Jesus... I come to an end of myself. I come to an end of myself. I recognize what is going on here. And I ask you, Lord, that you would forgive me of my sin. I take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe he lived for me. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried, and I believe he rose again on the third day. I believe. And when somebody does that, see, it's not just good enough to know gospel facts. It must be applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit. And when somebody has that happen in their life, they are radically changed, and there's no person on the face of this earth that can pluck them from the hand of God, that can turn them back, that can make them unchristian or unsaved. Why? Because they have been changed from the inside out in response to an outward message of the gospel. And Paul says this, this is the main thing. You get this, you'll get everything else. But he was shocked because he plants these churches in Galatia and you would think, you have Paul preaching, you have Paul explaining what the gospel is, and he's teaching these, these different churches uh, in Tur what is today Turkey. He's, he's teaching them. You think that they would be the most mature Christians after he's done with them, after he has done praying over them. You say, who preached to you the gospel? Who did you receive the gospel from? I received it from Paul. He came to my town, he established the church. Went from uh, 
Pisidian, Antioch to Iconium, Lystra, Derby. He's going to these different towns. He's preaching the gospel. You think it's Paul. It's a man of fasting. It's a man of prayer. It's a man of the word. It's a man who's called by God. You, you would think that they would be established, rooted, unshaken, unmovable in their faith. And yet notice what it says in our text here. Why don't we go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He's talking to believers. There might be some here in, in the churches, of course, who, who aren't, and they're, they're deserting. But, but notice what he says. He says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He says this, I, I am I'm shocked. I, I thought you had it. That's what he's thinking. And all of a sudden, you 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 had the gospel, you you understood it, but now you're turning and you're deserting him. You're deserting God. And you, you can feel a father's heart here. Paul's heart is like a, a father. He says, I saw that you had it. I saw that you understood your sins. I understood that you understood the gospel. And somehow all of a sudden, instead of now embracing the gospel, it's not just that outside influences came in. That's true. But it's an inside heart that says, I want out. People are saying, you know what, I, I, want to, I want to leave the gospel as quickly as I can. He says, so quickly you're, you're deserting the gospel. Now, we've had, we've had different dogs over the, over the years. The one we have is probably the best one, at least even in all the years I was growing up. But we had uh, dogs who would jet as soon as you opened the door. And if you didn't have them collared, if you didn't have them leashed, boom, out they would go. They would just, they didn't think about all the food that they had received or the, the warm nights. And they, they didn't remember any of that. They were wholly ungrateful. And boom, as soon as you open that door, <laughs> out, they're gone, chasing them down the road or whatever. And this is this is what Paul this is what Paul is saying. I came. I'm a stu I'm stunned that you're so quickly deserting God. He says you're deserting Him. You're not just deserting some kind of secondary teaching I gave you, but you're actually you're actually deserting Him. Him who called you in the grace. Of Christ. This is talking about this, this inward call of the Holy Spirit that every believer hears. It's not just the outward call. There's an outward call today going to you right into your ears. Come believe the gospel. But then there's an inner call from the Holy Spirit where God summons a person. And they say, oh, okay, I get it. It's not just, it's not just being preached outwardly, but inwardly somebody's going, I am understanding this. I get it. I really get what's going on here. I'm seeing the whole sin thing and the perfection thing and Christ being my perfect substitute. I'm, I'm getting all of that. You ever been shocked over somebody who's deserted the gospel? It's a, this, is a, this is a holy shock. Somebody you think has been understood the gospel and rooted in the gospel, 
And next thing you know, they're just deserting it. What does is, what is that do in the heart of believers? It's, it's, it's shocking. People, people who, who, who knew it from their, from their youth or somebody got saved in college and seemed so on fire for God and even had years of following after what seemed like they were following after God. And, and by the way, I think we should stop here and say this, that Christians, true Christians can get confused. This isn't just about apostasy, you know, the, the person who really never was a Christian. And uh, John says they went out from among us because they were never really part of us. There are those people, too. You know, they just never really got it. They might have played the game the whole time, but they never really got it. That's apostasy. But then there, then there are believers. There are genuine believers who who know God, who understand the gospel. Listen, it's really changed them. They've heard that inward call of the Holy Spirit. They can tell you what it means to be a Christian. They get it. And all of a sudden, there's confusion that's brought in. And they begin to turn. And what does is, what is Paul do? He say, well, I guess they just were never saved. No, no, no. It's like Jesus. What, is, what does Jesus do? Paul learned from Jesus. He, he leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the 1. And this, this is what Paul is doing with his churches. He doesn't say, well, just guess they never got it. All that work is to no avail. All that is void and useless. No, no. He, he goes and he says, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. You knew it. I saw it in you. I, I know you knew the gospel. I saw the gospel change you. I saw worship. But something came in. There was a confusion that came in and began to stir things up in the churches here. And so we, we learn from this that it's possible for Christians, listen, genuine Christians to get confused. One said, who seems solid? And by the way, this is why we need to be praying for one another, encouraging one another. So he says, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm going to close with this. We, we barely got anywhere here. We'll just close with this verse. But go with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus, Jesus is using this, the, same, the same word here that we see here in... In Galatians, Mark chapter 6. Let's go back to verse 5. This is Jesus. He's restricted in his ministry here. Uh, Mark 6 verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now here's the word. And he marveled, same word that Paul is using in Galatians, and he was shocked. And another translation we could say, another word we say, he wondered. What's going on? That, that's, what, that's the feeling that Paul has here. He's not all worked up and angry. This is, this is a holy wondering. This is a holy shock. What, what is happening? It's the same thing that Jesus did. He's not marveling at all the great things that are going on. In fact, it's the opposite. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages 
teaching. He marveled. And Paul says here, I'm, I'm, I'm marveling. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Let me just stop for one second. Have, are you confused? Are, are you confused? Have, have you understood the gospel and all of a sudden something comes in, begin to kind of forget, begin to kind of drift? These are real believers. I, I think the, a prime example of this would be Jonah. Remember when we went through Jonah? Jonah hears the call of God. We could go back to Jonah 1, but it's in the very first uh, two or three verses. God calls him. Immediately he turns and goes the other way. A man of God, but he's confused. He's disobedient. He's not listening to what he's been called to. This is exactly what's going on here. These aren't people who are just unsaved and they're not getting it yet. These are people who are genuinely confused. People have come in to stir them up. And so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The desertion of the gospel, the desertion, the leaving of the true gospel, the desertion of the gospel is a desertion of God. That's what it's saying. You leave the gospel, you're not just out there in a different doctrine, a different church or something. You leave the gospel, you leave God. That's what he's saying. You leave God himself. I'm so surprised, I'm so shocked that you would you would leave him. Well, as we're going to see, there's real hope here. And I, I, I love this, this. I love that verse because it, it's saying to us, we sometimes get off track. And... This is the essence of the gospel, that it's not about just us getting ourselves back on track. It's us getting back to the gospel. And that's real hope-giving. That, that's, that's, that's life. So the gospel is good, but it must be applied to us for us to understand how good it is. And then we can sing, holy, 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 with a heart that's really been changed. Would you stand with me as we close? I'd like to sing, open the eyes of my heart as we uh, close, and that God would open the eyes of our heart, that we would uh, hear him. We'll just sing an acapella uh, this afternoon. <laughs>